To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Yo, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So on today's podcast, I have back on my friend Dan Picard. So Dan and I work together over at Eastman's. I'm just super impressed by Dan's consistent success. Uh, as a bow hunter like me, bow only, and um, man, he just gets it done on a bunch of different species in a bunch of different habitats. And uh, the Eastman's joke around, call us the bow hunting brothers, as we're always sitting together, always visiting about bow hunting. And today we got to record the conversation. So uh, it's a great one. We talk all about mule deer. Uh, we talk about the mule deer course, but it's uh, not a big promotion for the course. Uh, there's really some useful information that you can use in your mule deer hunting uh, this season and, and hopefully helps you be more successful. Uh, but we are really proud of this mule deer course and putting it together. I work with Dan on this. Uh, we've been working together for probably a year on this thing. So um, we refer back to it quite a bit, but a great conversation with Dan. I think you guys will really enjoy it. I want to thank my sponsors for today's show. I want to thank Cryptech. Uh, Cryptech builds technical mountaineering hunting gear, uh, and I have the best system I've ever had put together. They have absolutely everything from early season to late season and everywhere in between. So these hot weather hunts have been using the Sonoran shirt, the Sonoran pants, which breathe really well. Uh, they have... Um, uh, great gaiters. They've got great rain gear from Scholar Fabric. They've got pit zips to to get rid of heat. I'm uh, also using a new set of pants that has zips on the on the side of them to let heat out. Man, those things have been great. Uh, they have puffy pants, great puffy jackets, hooded gear, hooded sweatshirt, absolutely everything I need to hunt every season. And I also love their camo patterns. Uh, they've got altitude, which blends in really good with the timber and the darks. Uh, they've got this Obscura Transitional that I've been using lately that I really like for open terrain. So use this on my Nevada mule deer hunt, my antelope hunt in open country, uh, used it in Hawaii, and, and I look, and man, it just blends in perfectly with all these different open terrain habitats. So really impressed by it. If you guys are in the market for any new gear, make sure to go check it out over at Cryptech. I also want to thank Black Rifle Coffee Company, building the best coffee available. So they have their coffee subscription, which they'll send you a new bag of coffee every single month, which I've been a part of for the last year, which I really enjoy. They just have really good roasts that taste really good. Uh, they also have their instant coffee. So this is what keeps me alive during hunting season. Their instant coffee is actually freeze-dried real coffee that you mix into the water. Tastes good. Uh, my stomach and gut feels really good on it. It's the best instant made. So make sure to pick some of those up for your hunts. Uh, they also have some some tea bags that you add in. Those are good as well. I've used those for hunting season. Uh, but just great coffee, a great company that supports our outdoors and hunting lifestyle. And um, we want to support them wherever we can. So you can put in the promo code Brian. That'll save you a little bit off uh, the subscription there and uh, hopefully help you to get some good coffee in your life. I also want to thank Black Ovis. 
So Black Ovis is a new sponsor to Eastman's Elevated, but they just offer all the best gear. They offer camos, solids. They offer Cryptech. A lot of our best sponsors, they have their gear there. So uh, you can shop there. They have a great point system where every dollar you spend uh, or every every point you get equals a dollar that you can spend on future purchase purchases. They give you these these bonuses when you purchase things from their uh, from their site. Uh, they're they're a great company. They're hunters as well. Uh, I know I talked to to Marcus in there. He's got a good Utah elk tag. He's looking forward to. But just a great company. Uh, they have arrow ID so they can help you with arrows. Uh, they they also have a promo code that'll save you 10% if you put in elevated 10, uh, get you 10% off your order, save you some dollars so you can get ready and absolutely everything you need for hunting season. Uh, so thanks to those guys for their support. And also thanks to Camo Fire. Camo Fire has a bunch of, of good deals. In fact, 80 new hunting deals every 24 hours. They got some great stuff, great gear that comes up on it. Uh, make sure to go check out the app Camo Fire. I know a lot of guys love this app and uh, get a lot of stellar deals on good hunting gear. So check that out as well. And with that, Man, let's get into this podcast. So um, over at Eastman's, we've got some new Beyond the Grids hitting. Be on the lookout for those on YouTube. Uh, I have some good new hunts that are coming up on there. Uh, so does Dan Bacar. Uh, in fact, he just had this muley hunt drop from um, uh, last year's Montana hunt. We talk about it in the podcast. Go check that out. Uh, you can check out that muley school. Just search Eastman's Mule Deer course, and uh, it'll come up, and you can take a look at that as well. It's sure to cut your learning curve by years. Um, really proud of the product that we turned out and going to continue to add content to it. So really proud of that. Check that out at Eastman's. Check out our magazines, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal. And uh, with that, let's get into this podcast. So uh, my bow hunting brother, Dan Picar, I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. All right, got my good buddy Dan Picar on the line. So uh, Dan and I have been working really hard on this mule deer course, and it's a vision we had that we came up with. And uh, then we worked away all winter long trying to find a format, a place to host it. And, uh, man, I just can't thank you enough, Dan, like figuring out the technical side and how we're going to launch it and put it on. Uh, it's doing good. We're getting some great feedback. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely been a monster to – get up and live and uh it's a, a video course uh, there's well over 100 videos now and so yeah very extensive but uh yeah great feedback and there's just so much information there and you know we we tried to really focus on mule deer on this course specifics like from a to z on mule deer and then um you know we're we always have plans to uh, expand on this course too and and talk about uh, wilderness survival and all the basics to just being able to live out there. And there, there's just so many things that go into uh, making your hunt successful for uh, a mule deer buck. And I, I feel like it's content that you'll just never run out to t of things to talk about. Yeah, and I think for every skill level, too, all the way from beginner to expert, you're going to pick up tips and cut your learning curve. And when you think about experience, like me and you have been hunting mule deer for, you know, at least to date myself, the last 20 years, I've just committed my life to hunting mule deer in as many places, as many different seasons, different habitats, and 
um, a lot of this learning is done by trial and error. Like you have to mess up all these stocks and mess up shots and, you know, eventually you start to become proficient at it. And then for us to put down, you know, everything we know about mule deer from A to Z, they're definitely going to cut the learning curve by multiple years by taking the course. And I think that's the beautiful thing about it is that they don't have to make all those those tough mistakes or those hard mistakes, like sure you have to gain experience too. And that's in the course, but um, you know, you can really apply a lot of these lessons we've learned throughout the years. And uh, yeah, I think that's one of the most beautiful things about it. Yeah, definitely. Cutting the learning curve. You couldn't have said it better. I mean, that's the whole point of this. Uh, We're trying to convey our experiences and that's why I, I really enjoyed putting together the hunt strategy section uh, this is the, the narrated hunt section and specific details of what we're doing on stocks. And sometimes you miss and sometimes you spook the buck and you know, other times you make a great shot and everything in between. And I think that that's kind of really where the rubber meets the road and, and where it, it's tough to really get good at that because there's so much out of your control and, uh, it just takes experience. It takes being out there and doing it to learn. That's, you know, the the best way to to learn. And so, anyway, with this hunt strategy section, that's where we're really trying to to help guys cut the learning curve. And and yeah, whether you're a, a beginner hunter or you've hunted mule deer for five, ten, fifteen, twenty years, I think there's going to be something uh, that you'll pick up and learn in in every section. And I know you're just like me, Brian. We're students of the game, and, and we're still learning, too. We're, we're learning all the time. Every hunt is new, and there's always something to learn on every hunt that a guy can go on. Yeah, man, that's it. Uh, I find myself getting lost in the course when I'm reviewing it. <laughs> and I, uh, I, you know, even though we came up with the curriculum and what we're going to discuss, like I find myself getting lost in the information. And a lot of it, it reminds me of the things that I need to do on the hunt. Like a lot of times you, you say it or you teach it, uh, but it's also a good reminder before we go on these hunts. And, and you think about stalking mule deer, like when you first start out, I mean, you may have to go on multiple hunts just to get a stock on a muley buck or, you know, even a best case scenario, you're really only going to get two, three stocks, maybe five at the most if you're really into mule deer for each hunt. And so you think uh, most guys are doing a hunt a season and, and we've compiled uh, the 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 information from hundreds of stocks on mule deer all the way from the desert to the to the high country to badlands to the breaks to the foothills and everywhere in between and and uh i I think everybody can learn from those stocks learn from those failures learn from those successes and so yeah i definitely think you can cut that learning curve by four or five years or maybe even more that you're going to gain that experience just by going through the course and a lot of it is like knowing what to look for, knowing what a good opportunity is. You know, am I looking to stock a buck in his bed? Am I looking to stock him in his feet? Uh, Well, it depends which season you're hunting. It depends how thick the cover is. And so, you know, there's like 
all all these nuances to it that we've tried to put in the course. And just like you said, we're students of the game, and I I love the narration of the live stocks that that you were able to put together and send me some of my hunts and have me narrate some of those. I think those are great learning tools. Uh, but just like you said, we're always learning and going to be able to continue to add to this this course. And, and and even this year, you gave me this extensive shot list of things we need to get. And I know I find myself on these hunts going, oh, this is important information. Let me film uh, a quick clip about this and I'll make a note for Dan and we'll add this to the course. So, uh, man, I just couldn't be more excited about it. I think it's awesome. And I think... Um, we can just continue to expand and, and, you know, we'll be able to expand to different species. Like I know me and you both love to chase elk and, uh, you know, people love to hunt antelope. And in fact, thanks for getting on early today. You might make me an antelope hunt for the afternoon, but dude, I had so much fun putting this together with you. You're such a great hunter and such a great teacher, man. It's, um, so much great information. Yeah, it really is. It was a lot of fun. I was joking with Ike about that the other day is that, you know, when you're putting material together where it, whether it's, you know, a a written piece or a a video, it's just fun because, you know, we get to do this for a living and it's a lot of work too, but uh, it it sure is just a a fulfilling and, and something, you know, just different and it's fun content. Oh, it's so fun. And then we got to get uh, Guy Eastman on it, too, uh, you know, which is just a wealth of knowledge. That guy loves to hunt big muley bucks, and he turns them up year after year. And he is more rifle-specific, as me and you are more bow-specific. So it was good to have him in there to talk about a lot of those rifle seasons. Like, I know, you know, me and you know rifle hunting, and, and we do rifle hunts, but uh, really, that's Guy's forte. And I, I, like, joke that he's, like, the Oracle of the West, just because he's been doing it for so many years retained so much information and and so articulate like how fun was it to hear him speak like at those uh uh, speaking engagements we did this summer yeah no that's he calls himself the old guy around here now which it's funny to hear him say that but yeah he's just been doing it for so long and i've been hunting with him going on 10 years now and we've been on some crazy hunts together where you know, I, I filmed for him and, and yeah, just rifle hunting, which it's been, uh, you know, it, some of these tags that he's drawn over the years have been awesome and we've on some great adventures and yeah, just a wealth of knowledge and so many years of doing it. I mean, his first trip up into the high country and the grays, you know, when he was a teenager and, and so, yeah, it's just, it was fun to include him on it. And he's always has several bits of wisdom that he's dropping and, and uh yeah it never gets old i love the stories too yeah oh i can't imagine uh going into the grays like back in the day when he got to hunt it or you know when his dad mike got to hunt it but uh some of the things that he's seen through his eyes have to be amazing and and you know i've been able to see some amazing things and i know you have too like we're in the new age of of hunting where it's the information day and age where there's a lot of information out there and you can take a lot of this information and apply it to your own hunting and you know, that's pretty much how I learned was like reading, you know, Mike Eastman's book and uh, David Long and, you know, all these guys that kind of came before me. But when I started bow hunting a lot of these mountain ranges, there wasn't a lot of guys doing it where now, you know, there's a little bit more hunting pressure, but that's good. It gives us more like it's uh, uh 
you know, it, it's easier because we have information. It's more difficult be, because there's uh, more pressure, but you can still just go out and find your own experience in every one of these mountain ranges in every one of these states. And I think like that's one of the important pieces in our course is like a, a lot of good bow hunting is being where the humans are, being where the pressure isn't like the deer get pressured somewhere. And so if you can figure out where those places are and focus your effort in there, like you're going to get stocks, you're going to get plays, you're going to find your own experience. And uh, like I, I, I love that piece in the course where we're talking about pressure. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's a huge part of it. And I mean, you, you preach about it all the time too. And, and just those bigger age class animals, you just, you don't see them very often in close to areas that have human activity. They, they just have a tendency to stay away. And if they are close, they stay in the timber or the cover, you know, cover and they're nocturnal, but they just have that, you know, that's, sixth sense and that's probably why they're seven eight nine years old uh and and so yeah there's just there's so much to it and it's actually funny i was uh editing up another video for the hunt strategy section and it was an early season rifle hunt with guy uh there's only 50 tags low pressure and it was an august 15th opener so i mean you can imagine hunting giant mule deer bucks in their summer pattern velvet uh, with a rifle and there's just, there's just not a lot of pressure in this unit, plain and simple. And we found the biggest buck right behind an alfalfa field that was right by the highway. But that's, that's the difference between a very low pressured unit and a general unit or, you know, a unit that has, you know, triple digit tag numbers in it. And he ended up killing the buck and it, it was, as easy as any rifle hunt could have been. I mean, for lack of better terms, they're hitting this alfalfa field. They bet up in the BLM during the day and we ambushed them when they were headed back towards the field in the evening. And I was, I was looking at some of the footage and reviewing it and I'm videoing guy and these bucks file by us at like 40 yards and guys like, are we crazy for passing that buck up? And it's a great typical, uh, he's kind of boxy and he's kind of a basket buck, a little narrower, but, uh, yeah, I mean, anybody in their right mind, me or you would have, wouldn't even have hesitated on shooting that buck. But, uh, we, we knew there was a bigger one in there cause we saw him that morning at about a thousand yards away and he ended up getting them. But, uh, yeah, it's just, it's funny. Every unit's different. And some of those units that have such little hunting pressure, you know, to get to hunt those type of units, maybe once a decade, it's, it's definitely a treat and it, it definitely puts things into perspective for you, uh, how hard it is on those general tags and how much you have to endure to, you know, get a solid four point these days. Well, and I, I think about it too, Dan, like, um, there's so many guys that are working so hard out there that are, that are willing to backpack, that are willing to put in the miles, that put in the elevation. And, you know, I, I think to myself, like, what separates me from these guys? Like, sure, I'm willing to work hard. I'm willing to put forth the F, put forth the effort. I'm willing to grind day after day. 
but it's like this whole combination of skill set that goes into it and what guy has in spades is is hunting knowledge you know and i and i also think that's what separates us as well as the the last 20 years as much as we get to bow hunt as many different places as we get to bow hunt as many different species we get to bow hunt like you just learn and so you know i think there's guys that are working just as hard as me and and probably harder but it's like putting your effort in the right places. It's figuring out where those deer are. And you talk about those unpressured zones, but even in the general seasons, you're like, I just got done hunting one of the most popular units around. Like there's a, a bunch of guys and guys talk about pressure, but I'm I'm able to find these oasises where these deer get pressured too, or where guys don't get. And, you know, for me, it's like uh, dropping down off the ridge and dropping a, a mile down off the backside where there's no access and getting down. And, and sure, bucks like these alpine basins and like the summer up in there, but they start dropping to secondary living when they shed their velvet, when the feed burns off, they'll also drop to secondary living when they feel pressure. And so with so many bow hunters hunting the ridge and the tops of these alpine basins, these bucks drop into these these sage draws and they're still in rough and rugged country but now i can get into these places where i never see a human and it's almost like the bucks are unpressured in there and then i can get stocks and eventually you know make something come together so like there's the it's so multifaceted to be a good bow hunter it's not just being a good shot it's not just being in good shape it's not just putting forth the effort it's not just mental toughness you know it's also your smarts it's also your e-scouting it's also like there's just all these skills that go into it and so like to be able to put this course together with you and like uh uh put together this multifaceted approach to hunting mule deer I, I think it's so beneficial for guys so proud of what we put together man that was that's so cool that we dreamt that up and then spent so much time working on it making sure we got the information continuing to add to it like i'm really proud of our finished product definitely definitely me too it, it was a long time coming, and, and as you know, I mean, we were busting our butts on it all spring and just getting the content together, and it's it's a fluid thing. There will always be, you know, things to add to it and update, and I always want to make it better. That's that's It's just like anything, right? You release it, and uh, you see things, you know, that you're like, man, I could do that better. I, I want to add a little bit on that. So it's going to be one of those things that it's going to be 24-7, 365 for me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's all good. Yeah, it's never going to end for us now. Well, dude, you shot a heck of a buck last year. Like, what were your keys to success on that buck? Because, you know, just like you were talking about him hiding, it's also timing. And I know you went in there early and didn't find any shooters and, and finally timed it right. And in your episode, uh, that that hunt just dropped on Beyond the Grid too, right? Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah, that was a Montana hunt. And I wanted to hunt it early uh, just just because, like we talk about in the course, those summer bucks uh, in velvet, they're they're out in the open a little bit more. They're a little bit lax. And so that gives me an opportunity to uh, not miss bucks, uh, meaning I can go into country and I might spend, you know, a morning and an evening and and feel confident that I'm seeing everything if, if I can work the terrain good enough. And so that's why I like hunting early. And, you know, whether or not you find a, a good one to kill or not, um, that's, that's one thing, but I, I feel like that's your best chance. And that's, what's cool about Montana is you have a six week archery season and then you have a five week rifle season. And so, uh, you have so much time and you, you can hunt all phases 
of the mule deer's cycle from, uh, you know, velvet to post rut basically, or at least to the, you know, peak of the rut. And, um, you know, I wanted to hunt it before rifle season kicked in and, uh, October is a hard time. That's why I, when I ended up harvesting, uh, my buck, but I think in, in that scenario, uh, the year it, last year it was, it was really dry and those bucks were concentrated by the lake there. And, uh, that, that helped me out, but that country, it has so much relief. There's so much topography to it and they can hide in all these coolies and cuts. And you have to look into all that country to find them all. You just can't get a master advantage and cover it thoroughly. There's just, there's too much going on. There's too much terrain. It's too vast. And so you, you have to just put the miles in and, and ultimately, you know, that's what I was doing is just getting down to the end of the areas that I was checking. And sure enough, those older, more mature bucks that just have an extra year or two on the rest of them, they're in those hard to reach places. They're in those tight canyons bedding where, you know, they never get messed with. They probably never see a person coming in there. And the only way that you're going to find them is if you stumble upon that coulee. And that's, that's exactly what happened to find the buck that I did. Man, so you were running like a like a mobile vantage point in that country. So you were covering country morning and night and then glassing those coolies as you came up, make sure there isn't any bucks or no shooters in there, and then keep moving. Yep, yep, yep. and for sure. And so it's by feel, like you said, by timing, but you're believing in what you're doing is going to pay off. You're believing in, in the process, and we, we talk all about that in the Mule Deer Courses too, but it's a feel thing, right? Like you might be like, oh, there's, there's nothing good here. And, and you keep going, but you know, I'm seeing deer numbers. I'm seeing bucks. Uh, it's secluded enough. I'm, I know I'm a long ways away from any road. And so I'm, I'm thinking that, man, this, this has everything that it needs to have to hold that next level mature buck that I'm looking for. And so I'm going to cover this thoroughly. I mean, that's, that's my thought process exactly. And so uh, yeah, yeah, you can see a lot from, you know, a ridge top or, or the truck even uh, way out there. But yeah, you, you can only probably see half of it. You just have to walk out there. And it was just believing that there was going to be a, a good one in there. Hmm. And yeah, that's it, it paid off. It is done so much on feel. I get so many uh, questions like, how long do you sit on a vantage point? How long do you sit before you move? And they're like really tough questions to answer because – the the answer is always different. It's always like what I feel is the is the train bucky. Have I seen smaller bucks in there? Have I uh you know do I believe there's a buck in there where I need to stay or do I feel like I've covered it really good during a prime time and it's time for me to move on? But a lot of it is dictated by instincts and then. You know, so much of these hunts, like, they never go quite as planned. Like, you you make a plan, you get on Onyx, and you say, well, I'm going to go here, and I'm going to look there. They just never go by the script that you lay out. It seems like you always have to get there, and then you have to adapt to the, to the conditions that you're seeing. You have to adapt to the terrain you're seeing in real time, uh, adapt to the deer sightings you're seeing or the sign. And, like, so much of this game on these hunts is... is you know, ad- adapt and overcome. It feels like. Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> that's 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 what it is, and that kind of as you're talking about e scouting like that and getting on on X, and it's it's obviously a, a great tool. Like it, it's just made life so much easier uh, nowadays. But the bottom line, in my experience, 
you will not find where the deer are by looking at the computer. You need to get out there and get boots on the ground because let me tell you, you're in for a lot of surprises. I think I was on plan like R by by time (laughs) (laughs) I found the buck I was looking for over a course of seven days and I exhausted everything e-scouting wise. And, and you just don't know. I mean, you know, e-scouting, you don't know what pressure is going to be like. Uh, you, you don't know where the deer are actually going to be. You, you might see some place that looks good on on the aerial imagery, but you get in there and there's nothing. It's a ghost town. And that could be because they've been spooked out of there or they're just not there. Or maybe it was a dry year and they're not doing what they normally do. There's just so much going on. And so, yeah, you still have to be able to move about the country and know what to look for and kind of get a feel for the trend of what you're seeing. And you, know, you have high expectations to find in a 180, right? That's what we all dream about is uh, just to have a chance at a 180 and you get a limited entry unit and you're, you're hunting it and you've spent six, seven days and you haven't even seen a 170. And so you're like, okay, well maybe I need to bring my expectations down a little bit. It's been a dry year. Uh, obviously, the, the deer concentrated more around the water. And so you're, it's just a fluid thing. You're constantly changing, constantly evolving, but ultimately that's what leads to success. Oh, it sure is. Yeah. It's e-scouting is great to find likely spots, but you just can't see bucks on Onyx imagery, you know? So that, like you, yeah. like you find these likely spots and I even, you know, then it's your job to go check out these spots and, and figure out where the deer are. And it's especially like tough in that unit that you had, because I know like by the way you describe it, like all the coolies and, uh, uh, all the draws and the breaks in and through there, uh, like really it's all good deer habitat. It's not like looking at mountain terrain where you can look at a bold basin and go, there's, I'm, there's a really good chance I'm going to find the bucks in one of these three drainages. Instead, you look at that country and it, it's just uh it's all the same it's 100 square miles and it's all good mule deer train yeah yeah it's it's so vast and it all looks good and they could literally be anywhere it's like man where do you start and you just got to slowly chip away at the list and like i said until you get to plan r <laughs> <laughs> man that's totally it like so much of this hunting is adapting or just keeping your head in the game and just you just got to keep theorizing and keep going and keep putting forth the effort and it's you know it's easy to throw in that towel especially in our in our younger years but you know once you you've tasted success and you know what it takes Really, it's just continuing to put forth effort day after day, continuing to theorize, uh, trying to come up with, okay, the deer aren't here. Where am I going to look next? Where do I have to check off? Like, what's my next game plan? What is my game plan M or N or R or whatever it is? Like, and, and then you go there and you go check it out. And it, it just seems like eventually you turn up a good buck or a good bull or, uh, whatever it is. But, uh, that's, that's public land western hunting at its finest. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I, I got a chuckle out of it too. I, I wanted to get your feedback and what you thought on, on that shot. And like, for me, like looking at it, you know, that buck, he, he saw something, whether he's heard something or saw something, it, it, it's tough with, you know, having a camera guy behind you, you know how that goes. And I, I don't like shooting at alert mule deer. Uh, especially like, you know, beyond 30 or 40 yards, just because they're good at, at uh, jumping that string. And that buck, 
as I worked in on him and, and he was kind of just holding his own and he was a little bit curious and he wasn't too flighty. But right when I drew back and I felt like it was all coming together and it was time to make a shot, he moved a little bit and he jumped the string and he, he kind of went from broadside to quartering two slightly. And then he jumped the string and that arrow impacted him straight on right in the chest frontal. And I mean, that, that could have gone bad too. And so it, it seems like, you know, you can do everything right, but still when that arrow's in flight, I mean, there's just a, a percentage of that shot that is completely out of your control. Man, isn't that the truth? Yeah. And, and mule deer are notorious for jumping strings. Like I believe it's one in three, you know, maybe one in four at best with the quiet bows nowadays jump the string. And now I believe, uh, like I don't think there's any difference from a relaxed deer to an alert deer. Like I, I have had just a ba- just as bad, uh, uh, like had deer jump the string just as bad that had no idea I was there. I can remember one in the high country that, uh, I was like around a 50 yard shot and he rolled like your deer did, but he rolled out of the way of the arrow and my arrow missed in front of him. He was completely broadside when I shot at him and that deer had no idea I was there. And I had another one that I shot at in his bed that didn't know I was there. And I had a good shot at his vitals in his bed and I shot at him in his bed. No idea I was there. And he jumped to get out of his bed and dang near got out of the way of my arrow. I thought I missed him low, but I ended up clipping him low and getting him just good enough and he died uh but you can watch it you can watch that arrow headed towards the center of him and he goes to bolt out of there and then the arrow hits him low so for me like um I've killed just as many deer that know I'm there. Like at the end of a stock for me, I love to have a deer. I love to keep the element of surprise, have that deer not know I'm there, not be looking in my direction when I draw my bow. But there is this case where you get busted right at the end. Like you've made it into your bow range and a deer picks you off and he stands up and he's broadside and he's looking in my direction. And it's like now or never. And so, you know, I just try to uh, my, keep my movements really slow. I don't make any big movements. I don't walk around a tree i try to draw my bow really slow settle my pin really slow and then execute my shot but i've killed a bunch of mule deer doing that that are highly alert mule deer that didn't jump the string so to me i i don't i don't correlate them being on edge with jumping my string i think a deer can jump my string whether he's relaxed or on edge yeah definitely that that, that's a good point um I, i felt like the buck that i shot in that video, he, he just had that upper hand on me where he, he had me pinned and, and he was ready to go and he, he made it a long ways. And I've, I've had it too. They spin the other direction. And like you say, the arrow goes right by and you miss them. And it, it, it was an extreme, I mean, that's some, some extreme movement, but it's, it's like axis deer too. It's the same thing. I mean, if you don't have some major, noise whether it's like you know cover noise from a crick or or high wind noise it's like yeah they're gonna hear you to some extent and jump aren't they yes yeah uh more times than not and i heard uh 
you know, Randy Ulmer has killed so many big mule deer. The guy is uh, like a big mule deer legend. I was listening to him on a podcast, and he was beside himself. He had shot at a mule deer that jumped his string. He hit it back. He lost it, and he was just beside himself. But he was saying that he thinks one out of two, like 50% of the mule deer or more, jump his string. And he was playing around with trying to shoot him further rather than closer to not jump his string. And you could tell, like, he has killed so many big mule deer uh, and so proficient with his bow on so many different animals, and he's such a good shot, but you could tell he was just lost from losing that deer that he didn't know which way to turn because he's had so many mule deer jump his string. And here's this big buck he had been after for day after day, played it really patient, got a good shot on it at like 40-some yards, if my memory's right, and it had jumped the string, and he got it high and back, and he ended up losing that buck. And he was just beside himself over it, but uh, to hear him talk about mule deer jumping the string he goes through the same thing but he was thinking it was more like 60 or 70 percent jump your string i was like man you have worse odds than i do i was thinking like about 33 percent or 25 percent will jump my string and sometimes you know they jump your string or they move but they're just too late or they move into the arrow you know like like your buck jumped the string and reacted to the shot and you still got them and that's that's the best case scenario is when they do jump the string and you still get them or that buck that jumped out of his bed on me and i still pinned him low and he you know ended up getting him and so uh you know uh, not every buck that jumps your string gets out of the way of the arrow either yeah exactly exactly you still end up with kills and you end up with misses and you know, God forbid you you wound one, but it's just it makes you shake your head at the end of the day, and you you just on on those ones that you make a clean kill like that. You know, I'm just kind of chuckling and smiling on my way home. You know, that's bow hunting. It's sometimes it goes really well, and other times you miss. That's just you you can't get good at that. You can't master that portion. Uh, sometimes things just happen because they happen. I think it's really good to have that in the course or to have like us talking about it on the podcast too. I think um, missing is inevitable. Failure is inevitable in bow hunting. Like it is gonna happen, you know? And I, for so many years, it was just portrayed on TV. Like I remember talking to this real proficient bow hunter that, that told me he hasn't missed in. 15 years or something like that i was like man i i I don't know like maybe i'm not doing it right or but that just doesn't seem realistic to me but it was portrayed for so long in tv that these bow hunters were perfect that they didn't miss that they were so good at their craft that that they made every shot and that's just not the case with every good bow hunter i've ever met every good bow hunter that i've had an authentic uh, genuine conversation like you miss deer they get out of the way of the arrows we mess up our shots we miscalculate uh excitement gets us the pin doesn't settle as good and i think it's good to share those experiences because you know bow hunters that are getting into it that maybe don't have as many kills you know they might expect this perfection when when perfection isn't something that you can't expect in bow hunting like you are gonna miss and and two to be able to pick yourself up from it like i've I've been successful on a lot of hunts where I have had a miss and I pick myself up, I get back after it and I get another shot and I, I make it happen. Like, like to me, one of the the best traits of a bow hunter is being persistent, you know, just keeping after it, keeping your head in the game. But I think it's like really important to share that with guys that, you know, I may be a good bow hunter, but I, I still can miss, I can still duff a shot and, and I want to show that authenticity as well, uh, and share that with guys. So when they miss, they're not down in the dumps and I get messages from guys that, that, um, 
you know, that beat themselves up and we all beat ourselves up. We like, uh, like I hate to miss as well, but you know, you, you think, uh, uh, like I, I've heard Joe Montana speak or Tom Brady, like not every throw he makes is a touchdown pass. He doesn't win every game, but he's good enough to pick himself up and throw that touchdown pass the next time. And you almost like you have to learn from your misses, but you also have to forget about them. They're in the past. All you can do is control the now or control the next shot. And so I think it's really important to like focus on your execution of that next shot, what you're going to do correctly, and then go out and make that shot. But we all miss. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's a part of it. Um, it, there's just nothing that you can do about it. It, it, When you're out there, you know, one-on-one with, it doesn't matter what you're hunting. Uh, and there's just too many things that are out of your control. It's just, it's bound to happen. It's part of it. And yeah, ultimately it's how you pick yourself up and continue on with a positive attitude. And, and that's, that's what truly defines success. Well, yeah. And it's, um, you know, you can stand in the backyard and and just put dots in there at 60, at 70, at, you know, whatever the range is, and, and be really accurate. It's just a different thing in the mountains on uneven terrain and on slopes and on live critters. You know, the pin doesn't settle as good on a live critter. You know, it's it's just a uh, it's tough to become proficient, and it takes years and years of working at it and improving your game. And I. I think, you know, being a good bow hunter, it is living this bow hunting lifestyle, 365. And and just like you stated at the very beginning of the podcast, it's being a student of the game and always learning and uh, always trying to get better. Uh, But, you know, I still... Dan, I've never had a perfect season where every arrow I released was a a, a perfect arrow. I've been close, and and I do, you know, just like you, I do a bunch of bow hunts a year, maybe five to ten, but I'm yet to have a perfect season where every arrow I released was perfect. Yeah, I I think it's almost impossible. (laughs) I mean, if if you hunt enough, you do, you know, enough hunts like what we do. I mean, last year, my Wyoming mule deer hunt, I got one chance, and I shot under his belly. Of I mean, who knows a variety of reasons. There was some wind and uneven terrain, like you said, and I was cramped up and I was cold. I mean, you can sit here and make excuses, but if you do it enough, you're bound to miss. I missed a whitetail too. I rattled in this whitetail buck, and I didn't have time to range. It was one of those scenarios where it was now or never. I mean, you had time to draw, and it was in this this tall sage, and it was hard to judge. And I shot over his back. And it was just a, a split second a chance that I had, but it was perfectly broadside. And it was, it, well, I, I thought he was 45, but he was more like 35. And I shot right over him. And so if you do this stuff enough, especially in these rush scenarios when you have to, you know, act now or forever hold your peace, it, it's, it's bound to happen. Odds go up uh, to miss when, you know, that, that when it happens quick, plain and simple. I'm, I remember that you had a similar thing in Idaho that one year, that big buck below the cliff there. Sometimes you have to react quick and it might be a good shot, a good presentation, but you don't have the time to range. And so you just have to make a judgment call on yardage and do do your best. Yeah. You, um, you've got yourself set up for those, like a lot of that, uh, that quick, those quick shots that come or that, like I'm a, I don't think I'm as good in that aspect as you 
uh, is thinking quick or uh, judging yardage. I'm, I'm just like I'm better if I can get a range, if I can I can shoot. But see, you have your bow set up, and you have a little bit longer draw length. You've got a little bit more speed, a little bit flatter trajectory, uh, and, and then you're good at thinking on your feet or thinking quick, judging that yardage. I've seen you kill quite a few animals where you've judged that yardage and then killed that animal. Uh, it seems like that's when, when my mistakes come a lot, uh, uh, when I make those mistakes is when I, when things happen quick and I've got a judge and it's like, Oh, I think he's 40 and I shoot and I, and I miss their air ball, but you're pretty good in those situations. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's 50, 50. I mean, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you make a good shot and sometimes you miss and, and, you know, luckily both of those were clean misses, but it, that that's part of it. And I, I do pride myself on being ready because when, when you're in the zone, your, your shot window can be so small. It might be a half a second and that could be your shot opportunity for seven days of effort. And so I've always like focused on that and always just try to not get tunnel vision when I get close to an animal because I know I'm going to have to capitalize sometimes I'm going to have to capitalize in a short amount of time. And yeah, it's, it's worked out well for me uh, with a little Kentucky windage on my bow setup, <laughs> my and slider, knowing my trajectory. Yeah. And yeah, other times it just, you, you miss them, but uh, yeah, it's definitely difficult. Well, it is, it is um, important. Like I think the one thing we both have is that killer instinct. And as you're describing that, it makes me think of it is like, um, you know, you can't force an, a shot. You don't want to force it in branches or force a bad angle. Like that's a, a recipe for disaster. But you, you also, you have to, you're just looking for this sliver of opportunity. Just give me a chance to place this arrow. And it's like this, this killer instinct when you get in close where you're really looking for that shot, you're really looking for that angle, you're really looking to to capitalize on an opportunity. And, and a lot of times it isn't waiting till it's perfect. It's seeing your window where you can place that arrow and kill that animal and placing that arrow right in that window. And so, yeah, I think that's the one thing that we both developed is this killer instincts. And, you know, when we, when we go on these hunts, like uh, we've got a, a pretty high success rate of making it happen when we get inside those zones. And I think think that that being clutch or having that killer instinct or developing that killer instinct is so important to consistent success. Yeah, it absolutely is. You could go years of unsuccessful hunts if you were to wait for the perfect broadside 25 yard shot while you have 10 seconds to make a shot. I mean, in, in reality, those those situations where they're, they're close and you have all the time in the world. I mean, they're nice, but in reality, it doesn't really happen like that very often. Oh, you're spot on. No, it's the exception, not the rule, right? There's in the, like you always think as you're bow hunting, you know, and I, I've learned throughout the years and I know you have too, but I always think when I, when I'm bow hunting, I just need to get into range. I just need to get into range of the buck I want and, and I'll make it happen. And, and, and then you start to learn that getting in range is just half the battle. Like these deer, uh, or elk or antelope or whatever they are, they're always moving. They're always on the other side of the doe. There's another deer in the way there's limbs that are going to hit your arrow it's just like never perfect it's it's absolute chaos when you're in bow range and you are it on limited time and it's 
you know, you have to make a hundred right decisions to place that perfect arrow into that animal. And, and that can just be where you set up uh, on your knees or standing or where you set up with limbs in front of you. There's just like a hundred right decisions you have to make to make it come together. But it, it, it is like being clutch in those moments, really looking for that window. Deer always moving. Uh, but but when you see that window, it's time to draw back then and, and, and execute that shot and put a good arrow in them. But, man, it's so fun playing the game, isn't it? Like bow hunting is so difficult. And you're right. You can go years without finding any success without a bow and arrow. In fact, that's the norm. Uh, so to find it, you know, season after season, you just pick up these, these little – uh, tips and tidbits and tricks and and you flip that switch to where when you're in bow range you're really looking for that vital shot on that animal and to make it happen yep yep just sentin- uh, that your senses are heightened and yeah once you you do it more and more and more you just you get better at finding those windows and being more confident and anticipating i mean you know how big anticipation uh, is when it comes down to the moment of truth, you have to see it happening before it happens, and then you got to make it happen. <laughs> and yeah, it just comes with just time. That's that's all it is. Yeah, that's it. I um, man, it was sure a fun stock I got. Like just um, it's been like a couple weeks ago. Uh, that high country, I had Josiah with me. And, um, it was tough hunting in there for sure. Like the lightning storms were gnarly. And, uh, this is like where experience came into play. It was so killer, Dan. So, uh, I found this buck and he was in the spring and I knew he was a shooter. He's the best buck I had seen. He was really heavy and he was older, had this big body, already had his gray coat on. Um, I was going to be super stoked with him. And so he was in a place where I couldn't get around him from where I glassed him up. It would have taken me three hours and, you know, we had an hour and a half half a light and so went looking for him the next day and I couldn't believe it was the same buck because he had moved a mile and a half from there even though nobody had spooked him and I think he had moved to this spring to drink and that's where I glassed him but I found him all the way on the other side of the ridge a mile and a half away and he was just in this sliver little meadow just barely caught him he was with the same two point in there and and um, so there was bad storms forecasted for that day. And so I knew the wind was going to get fickle and lightning storms. I wouldn't have been able to be on the ridge. And so a lot of times I want to find him in their afternoon bed. But this time around, uh, he bedded, you know, first thing in the morning and it's early, like it's like 730 or even eight. And he bedded in a pretty good spot. I didn't know his exact position, but I knew the small little group of trees he was in. I knew, you know, the 50 yard by 50 yard, there's two bucks that are bedded in there. And so I made this play around, um, but it was wild how I used this higher understanding of the wind. And we talk about it, you know, in the course, we talk about wind uh, extensively. But uh, I, I knew that the valley floor was heating up. I knew I'd have uphill thermals. But as I was making my way over there, the winds were totally wrong. And as I rounded the peak, uh, the winds from the other side of the ridge were overpowering. So when I blew my wind checker, it looked like the wind was going straight from me to that deer. And I told Josiah, I said, we're going to get down off this top. Those thermals are going to be right in our face. Like, don't worry about it. We're going to be good. And so I just kept on this stock and I kept moving down, knowing what the winds were going to be doing when I got down there. And pretty soon I get down there and the winds are just screaming up at my face. And I blow in the wind checker right in front of Josiah, you know, I'm like, oh, man, we got the wind. Here we go, you know. And so 
we roll down and we roll down a little bit further and then my stock I take this hard right and I go down this cliff face and then bend around this cliff to where this buck is and as I started going down this cliff face the the cliff was almost blocking the thermal winds and it was a little bit shaded in this micro draw and again the winds fickle and it's blowing from me to the deer and I told Josiah I'm like hey this this draw you know this draw this rock face it's affecting the wind we're going to get around this cliff face and we're going to have good wind again and sure enough we get around the cliff face and you know like i'm not a hundred percent sure that's what it's going to do but i'm like 90 or 95 percent sure what <laughs> that's going to do you know so when you get around the cliff face and then all of a sudden the wind's back up in our face i'm just like oh right on here we go so we we work into this group of trees where we know this buck is and we're just uh like the hands of the clock like so slow glassing every step just trying to pick him up and i catch the buck down below us and um he's about 100 or 130 yards down below us he had actually moved down a little bit we actually caught him moving beds he just got to his feet and again those morning beds that's why it's tough to kill deer in morning beds because they don't sit there as long as the afternoon beds and so you know maybe took us i don't know 40 minutes to get around 30 minutes something like that and he was already changing beds and uh he changed down below us so we loop around we use the hill the topography to get back around on him and um get in close and we get into bow range but it's um uh you know it's uh a 40 degree slope is what i ended up shooting him downhill we get positioned above him and uh then i can see him laying there and, and we get in the spot and we're just waiting for him to stand he has no idea we're there and and really i didn't have to wait too long 20 30 minutes the two point came up and nosed him and kind of was bugging him and finally he gets up He's in the way of the two point, but then he moves and he gives me this good broadside shot. And um, so, yeah, I executed my shot and zipped and I heard rocks on the shot. Like I was like, man, did I miss him? And, and he just disappeared. And then he didn't move. He just stayed still. And I couldn't really see him through there, but I knew he was right there. And um, then he, he walked out and walked into another window, uh, another range on him. I zipped him again down and through there. That one hit like center, and then he ran out and tipped over. And this buck, he rolled I, uh, 200 yards down the hill, head over heels. He busted one of his tines on the back. In the picture, the velvet's actually holding it up. And uh, <laughs> But uh, he just rolled down the hill. And to me, it's like more about the adventure than anything, you know. But rolled down the hill. It was a quick death. And, uh, you know, I still wasn't sure the first shot is like I heard rocks on it and we went up and there was two holes right in them. You know, the one was low in the brisket, but a good shot. And the other one was a little bit back and came out right on the heart and um, killed him and zipped him twice. But uh, it's just that knowledge, like this understanding of mule deer terrain and mule deer country. So that was my one stock for the trip and we were able to make it happen. Oh, that's awesome. Like, like I said, you, it's hard to teach that, you know, the, what the wind is doing in terrain. And, and I think a lot of guys would hit a situation like that and the wind's going down and they're not even going to try because maybe they're just overlooking, you know, the, those prevailing winds and the thermals or, or whatever the case may be. But, and it's, it's hard to predict. Like you say, you're 90% sure. And, just you've done it a lot and so you have a good hunch but uh knowing how those little cuts and those little coolies and those rock faces channel wind and, and make uh wind walls i like to call them where you're you're getting up close to an animal and you have a bad wind but you have like a solid natural barrier between you and the animal 
And that natural barrier could be like a small canyon. And, and knowing that even though the wind is at your back, you know in that canyon or that avalanche slide, the wind is going to be going up or down because you got timber on both sides. And you know that your sense good. Like it's not going to get to that buck. And, and those are things that just come with experience, right? I mean, that's, that's just getting a feel for, you know, what the wind's doing by just being out there and experiencing that. God, that's really what I felt, Dan. It was like all my years of experience like uh, came into play on that stock, like having this higher understanding of the wind. And, you know, I also think you can learn it from, you know, places like the podcast or the course, like to 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 have this, you know, to realize, OK, like uh, Brian isn't just like checking the wind and then that's the wind that he's going by. He he's actually has this higher understanding of what the winds are doing, you know, in these canyons and in these draws and the thermals and the directional. And and just being aware of that, like, gosh, if if I could have read that in a book and been able to apply that 10 years ago, like I would have had a bunch more bucks to my credit or bulls to my credit. Um, And, and, you know, it just worked out on that one. And it doesn't always work out. Like you say, 90 percent. Sure. I definitely uh, with wins, I could have hit that 10 percent as well. But uh, I really felt like my experience came into play on that buck. But, yeah, it was just such a, a beautiful stock and beautiful hunt, backpack hunt, you know, the. Uh, like the the truest for like the for for me like just the the funnest way to go bow hunting you know it's like just you and your backpack and going in these mountains and disappearing and then be able to harvest the best buck that I saw man it was so awesome I know you got some good hunts coming up man you leave here in a few days don't you yeah yep yeah headed down south going in on an elk hunt I don't I still don't know if I'm gonna have a deer tag or not <laughs> if uh it was, I was going to try to get a hold of a, a landowner voucher. Um, but, uh, yeah, elk hunting, horse drop in, uh, it should be fun. It looks like, man, it's been really wet down there this year. So we're, I'm sure we're going to have some weather. Sounds like you had some weather in Nevada and it's, it's just one of those years. I don't know about up there in Ennis, but we've been so wet down here in the desert by Cody. It, it's crazy. I've never seen anything like it. It's a one of a kind for sure. Yeah, it's it's going to come with its own set of challenges this season, isn't it? Definitely. And, you know, you're living at 11,000 feet and I'm sitting here wondering, you know, how many of those seven days are we going to be just fogged out, not being able to do anything. But that's that's part of the reason why you go for seven days. So hopefully you get, you know, a, at least a two or three day window where you have some good quality hunting and maybe a, a few more half days. Uh, if you hit it right. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of the first hunt. And then, uh, yeah, just elk, 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 Wyoming, Montana, I'll be hitting her hard. Um, but yeah, I'm missing out on the deer a little bit this year. I should be hunting my home state this year, but, uh, for, for mule deer, but, uh, yeah, down in Colorado, just doing a, a new adventure, kind of one of those things where we're always searching for one new hunt, one new location, uh, to do a year. And I mean, that's a part of adventure bow hunting. That's a big reason why I know you love it too, is just new locations and new places, new scenery. And, and it's just such a huge part of it, uh, to me. So I enjoy the, the new hunts. 
um, you're so good at it as well, Dan. Like, um, it's not easy to go to all these different places and find success like you do. And, um, uh, I, I like hunting all these different species and you do have a deer hunt coming up in Montana that I remember you told me about, but yeah, it's, uh, these elk, like, gosh, you got to take advantage of it, you know? And, and what a cool way, like, um, you know, creative thinking is rewarded in, in Western hunting. And so like just listening to your hunts this year, like you've lined up a, a a horseback hunt way deep in the backcountry in some spot you've never been. Uh, like that's creative thinking. That's outside the box thinking to to hire a, a horse guy or to bring horses down. Or I'm not sure how you're doing. I know you uh, you get Ike to haul you in and out in quite a few like gnarly places in Wyoming too, which is just killer. But um, that's what it takes. It's uh, uh, continuing to go, continuing to theorize, think outside the box. And man, you are always going on an adventure to bow hunt somewhere you know and uh that's why uh when we get together uh all we can talk about is bow hunting uh these different (laughs) species in these different spots so uh man and and i hope you are able to pick up that that landowner tag you say you're still not sure if you're going to be able to get it or not yeah it's just been a communication thing down there trying to get a hold of the right landowner that has a tag and it's not like a coveted area or anything like that but it's like yeah you're going to be at tree line and or above tree line you might as well have a deer tag in your pocket you, you never know what's going to be up there and of course if you don't have a tag you're going to see a good buck <laughs> <laughs> guaranteed <laughs> um yeah i will get i have a whitetail tag in wyoming too and yeah montana and later in october so we'll still get to get out and and uh hunt deer too it's it's kind of like one of those things. I've been missing the antelope the last couple of years. I just haven't been able to draw a tag. But it's like if, if you don't hunt antelope, mule deer, and elk in one fall, you're you're missing something. <laughs> so <laughs> at least I have you know, one mule deer tag, and like I say, missing the antelope this year. But uh, we'll we'll get after the elk hard. Yeah, you got some good elk hunts coming up. And man, your your home state in Wyoming, I don't know if anybody's more dialed on elk in that state than you are. Gosh dang it, you turn up some bulls year after year. So I'm sure you're excited to hunt your home state as well. What are you planning September dates for that one? Yeah, mid September. Uh, once again, new unit. I've I, some people think I'm crazy because I hop around all the time, but uh, I, I try to hunt a new unit every year. And, uh, you know, I look for burns. I like to, uh, focus in burns and it's always good to have local Intel if you can, uh, get a hold of some. And, uh, but yeah, just another, you know, horse drop type hunt. We're actually going to run with horses, uh, back in there for a week and, and see what happens. But, uh, you know, potential for really big bulls and, you know, who knows? You never know what you're going to run into 12 miles back in Grizz country and, it's kind of one of those things I've, I think I've slowly become addicted to is you head into an area new for the first time and you kind of have that lump in your throat and a pit in your stomach and you don't know. I mean, you, you might not come out. I mean, that's always a possibility. Oh, yeah. But, you know, a little adrenaline. I guess we're all adrenaline junkies to a point. And uh, it's that adventure part, too. It's, you know, why I love going into the unknown and, and just seeing you know, what you're going to encounter and what you're going to experience back there and in such wild places and, and such cool things can happen back there and cool wildlife sightings. And that's the stuff that I just, I live for it. I know you do. Yeah. You're, um, 
we're cut from the same cloth or grown from the same branch or however you want to say it. But yeah, we both have that adventure in our (laughs) blood. Like, uh, and, and I think it's an adventurous spirit. I think it's human nature. Like I love to explore. I love to go to new places and I have units that I go back to, but I hardly ever hunt it the same way. I hardly ever hunt the the same. And if I'm going back to a unit I've been, there's always somewhere else I want to go over the ridge line or over into new basins or uh, uh, to to a new part of the unit. I I think um I love to explore as well, Dan. And it is an adventure. And you say like you might not come back, and that's a reality. Like pulling out of your driveway, we both have wives and kids and. Um, like it, it, it is real when you're immersing yourself in nature and especially like the grizzly terrain that you live in, that I live in, uh, it is a possibility that you have to consider. And, and, and I think it's like part of the beautiful thing is it's not nerf back there. We get to be wild men back there. You know, we get to go, uh, cover country and, and, you know, hunting is in our DNA. Like it's the reason we've survived for 200,000 years there. Like there is something primitive and visceral about it like being out there like i think it's the most intense interaction with nature you can get when you're playing this predator prey game you know and and both me and you have been hooked on it and there's nothing in my life that has ever driven me or ever uh, uh given me such purpose as like backcountry bow hunting and it's it's so difficult like it's the challenge of it and uh it's the theorizing the creative thinking the exploring the adventure like all of it man it's just like and it's here right in front of us right now we've been waiting all year for it and it's fall right now you're leaving for a hunt you'll be hunting throughout the fall on a bunch of good adventures i'm uh i'm sure you're going to turn up some great animals but man it's the it's the beauty of it like we get to go do what we truly love to do we've been waiting for it all year long yeah just a a year's worth of planning and it seems like as soon as one hunts over i'm thinking about next year i'm thinking about what i could do different or maybe you know a different state or you know whatever it might be but it's it's a lifestyle it's it's a disease if you want to call it that our wives would probably call it that (laughs) (laughs) it definitely is a sickness for sure (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah well uh dan you're the man um Dude, it's always so fun to talk to you. Like, uh, uh, really consider you a good friend, and I really appreciate like your your insight. I know like you've helped a buddy of mine, you know, this season. I've also you know uh, used some information for like you've given me information on tags and hunts that I've had in the past that have helped me succeed. And um, dude, you're a, a a really good friend, a great bow hunter, and uh, uh, just happy to know you, man. Man, thanks, Brian. I, I sure appreciate it. I I feel the same way about you. You're my bow hunting brother, and I love bouncing ideas off you and talking. Just just like you said, we get together and we just geek out over it. And uh, it, it's it's fun to have somebody you can do that with that spends the time and has been doing it a while. And we're learning from each other, and it's just part of it. Camaraderie's you know huge, and uh, yeah, it's I, I appreciate it. I, I definitely feel the same way. Right on, man. Well, um, yeah, wish you good hunting this season. Uh, let's keep in touch. And, yeah, thanks a bunch for jumping on, and thanks for all your hard work and effort on that mule deer course, man. It really turned out uh, uh, better than I could have even imagined. So I'm so proud of how that came out. So uh, really appreciate all your work on that. And yeah, man, we'll just keep in touch. Yeah, sounds good. It was fun doing it with you. And, yeah, you, you have a full plate this fall too, and be safe and have fun out there. Shoot straight. I know you will. Cool. All right. Thanks, Dan. You bet.
All right, guys, it's a wrap. Uh, fun podcast with uh, Dan Bacar. Uh, really like that guy. Always like sitting down with him. Uh, uh, I always like visiting with him. Like I say, he's just a great hunter. Um, he has just willed himself into a place where he's consistently successful, and we can learn a lot from that. So I really like these conversations I get to have with him. So thanks to Dan for taking the time and being on. And Dan is a heck of an elk hunter, too. Uh, Got to get him back on for an elk podcast, and um, we'll get him on shortly for that. And uh, I need to get out a solo elk podcast for you guys, too. So I'll try to get that released next week. And I haven't talked about my early season mule deer or uh, just harvested an antelope as well. That's been a good season so far, so I uh, need to get on and visit about that. So I'll get that recorded, uh, maybe release that to you guys next week. And um, with that, I want to thank our sponsors. So uh, I want to thank Cryptech, a uh, great system I have built there. If you guys are in the market for anything camo, make sure to check them out. Uh, also check out Black Rifle Coffee Company, a great company that supports us outdoorsmen and just has the best roast, the best coffee, the best instant coffee. So impressed by it. Uh, check out Black Ovis. Uh, I use their game bags on the last couple hunts, work flawlessly. Uh, they have absolutely everything you need for uh, your hunt. They have all the top brands. Again, they have their point system. One point is $1. You can also do reviews to pick up a couple points or a couple dollars off your next order. Uh, you can put in the uh, promo code ELEVATED10, save 10% on your order, so save you a few bucks there. And uh, also check out Camo Fire. Uh, it's their their app where they do 80 different hunting deals every 24 hours. There's some stuff that goes for great deals here, top brands, so check that out as well. And uh, check us out over at Eastman's. Uh, everything we got going on, constantly working to get better and bring you guys the best information. So uh, we've got the hunting journals, the Tag Hub Internet Research Tool. We've got the Mule Deer School now, which I have a big part in, which I'm really proud of. Uh, Beyond the Grids, our um, Eastman's Hunting TV on the Outdoor Channel. Uh, you can check us out at all those places. So, um, man, with that. I'm getting this podcast out, and uh, I'm going to try to get out of here for a long weekend and go hunt some mule deer. Um, so super stoked fall is here. It's been a great season so far. Uh, busy, but managing and definitely getting out and enjoying nature, like the the, the most uh, intimate like experience you can go get in nature is this predator prey. And like it's been really fun chasing these pronghorn. Uh, I don't know, I maybe got five days in or something like that, but just playing the game, cat and mouse and looking for a good buck. And then, um, it, it really helps sharpen my stalking skills. Like every year, uh, they're, they're humbling, man. They're so crafty. It's like, you think of looking over a rise and they catch you. They're so good at what they do and surviving in these prairies. Uh, but there's just nothing better to me than being out on the prairie, tag in pocket, bow in hand, and, uh, chasing these black horned antelope, you know, like, um, all these species I get to hunt and all these different habitats are just amazing. But, um, yeah, I had a pretty special antelope hunt the other day and harvested a really nice buck and, um, it's just so fun. Um, so I know you guys got some hunts coming up. I'm going to leave on this mule deer hunt. going to go with my buddy, um, Dan Havron. And, uh, so he's going to show up at the house. I think tomorrow morning I'm trying to get, I got so many deals in the works here. So trying to get everything taken care of, be in front of my work, uh, still handle all my responsibilities and then go out and cut loose and have some fun and, and, uh, hunt a bit too. So, um, so far so good. We're managing and, uh, into the fall season. So, um, man, I just wish you guys the best. I'd, uh, share your success with me if you're able to arrow something this season and, um, 
man, pulling for you guys. So um, thanks so much for the support of the podcast, social media, everything I do. Uh, I just appreciate it so much. Uh, that's so humbling as well to be able to to be able to build this podcast and, and, um, you know, have a writing in the outdoor industry and have you guys reading my stuff, watching my stuff, listening. Uh, it's just amazing, man. Um, so I really appreciate you guys and wish you all the best. And with that, I'll check in with you guys next week.